Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We would love for you to join in our conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you have a question, email or text us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. Now here's your host, pastor, author, and Bible teacher, Scott Richards, along with his right-hand man, Sean Richards. Well, a very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you, where you might be joining us uh, on this uh, fine day. Welcome to A Reason for Hope. I'm Scott Richards, joined here with Sean Richards, and we're here for the next hour to tackle your questions on the most important issues any human being will ever consider, what it means to have a personal relationship with God as that relationship's revealed in His divinely inspired Word, the Bible. If you've got biblical questions on your heart and mind, that's what we're here to do, to answer those questions for you here today. Whether it's a question of a particular passage of Scripture, applying the Word of God, uh, maybe learning how to, well, well, sharpen your sword of the Spirit when you're fighting those spiritual battles uh, for the hearts and minds and souls of those who are making up their mind about eternity that we encounter on a regular basis. We'd love to be able to come alongside of you and encourage you and equip you with uh, the insight that you need straight from God's Word. The events of the day, even the events of tomorrow through biblical prophecy, boy, Sean, we've got a lot on the docket as far as a prophecy update goes today. But we also would welcome your questions. Uh, if you want to get your questions to us, Sean, how can people do that? Well, if you can send them to us by email, questions for hope is open and available at all times. The phrasing, of course, questions is plural, F-O-R, not the number four, but F-O-R, hope, H-O-P-E, at gmail.com will be how you can get in touch with us not only during but after the broadcast. And if for whatever reason we don't get to your question during the broadcast, you can send that to us as well. It'll make sure things are nice and organized and accessible for us too. And that your question isn't forgotten or lost to the annals of the cyberverse. Uh, note as well, if you'd like to join us face-to-face, we are live streaming on our website. That is Calvary, C-A-L-V-A-R-Y, ChristianFellowship.com. And with that website, noting the Watch Live tab is how you'll be able to engage with us face-to-face. Uh, on the right side of the screen, we have a question section open for your Bible questions. And note as well, if we're ever kicked off of our social media platforms, that will remain. We're looking forward to engaging with you there. And note as well, if you miss us for whatever reason, time zones perhaps aren't kind to you, you can still watch previously aired broadcasts that will be playing automatically as well as a countdown to the next broadcast. You can know when we'll be on next. As well, if you want to join us on social media, while we still have the privilege and opportunity, YouTube is A Reason for Hope, and Facebook is Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you give us a like and subscribe, the advantage there is you'll be notified when we are going live if you hit the notification bells and so forth. But however you choose to engage with us, as long as they are sincere Bible questions, we'll be happy to receive those things from you. But uh, while you're sending in your questions, we have a lot to discuss and not a lot of time to cover it. So why don't we dedicate this time to the Lord, make sure he makes the time meaningful, and see uh, how we can use all this information for a better good. Yeah. Uh, Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity to be able to gather in your presence here. Lord, we invite your spirit to lead us into all truth. We pray that you would gather uh, online and uh, over the air those who need to be uh, brought up to date about what you're doing in this world and equipped 
to be able to take a stand in these uh, troubling times that we live in uh, with the sure and solid foundation of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you set us high upon a rock, and that rock is your time-tested truth that will never fail us or forsake us. Help us to come away from this broadcast uh, just that much more confident in who you are, in your faithfulness to your promises, and your intense involvement in our lives as the good shepherd that uh, knows the name of your sheep and your sheep. Uh, Lord, we want to be those who hear your voice. Thank you for this opportunity to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. That is true. Now, where to begin? Yeah, well, uh, as uh, you know, if you are a a regular watcher, uh, listener to this program, uh, we offer you uh, prophecy updates. Uh, We take a look at the events of the day and uh, look at them through a biblical lens, particularly what the Bible has to say about uh, the general time frame of the return of Jesus. Uh, There are certain heavenly heads-ups that we get, and maybe the most outstanding example of this, as far as God's timepiece letting us know how close we are to the return of Jesus, is what's going on in Israel itself. As our good friend Don Stewart often puts it, uh, on God's uh, time scale, uh, Israel is the hour hand, Jerusalem is the minute hand, and the Temple Mount is the second hand. Uh, And uh, so whenever there are major news stories that involve Israel, we like to pass them along to you uh, to encourage you to, when you see these things begin to happen, as we see in the book of Luke, look up for your redemption draws near. Uh, Boy, one that jumped off the page uh, earlier today was this headline in the Jerusalem Post. 77% of evangelicals believe Iran will use nukes to wipe Israel off the map. According to a survey done by McLaughlin, and associates between March 17th and the 22nd. Uh, The article says more than three-quarters of evangelical Christians believe that if the Iranian regime were able to build a nuclear weapon, its leaders would soon use it to carry out the repeated threats to wipe Israel off the map and bring about a second holocaust. According to a new survey published by our good friend Joel Rosenberg's organization, the Joshua Fund, the poll was conducted uh, between uh, March 17th and 22nd and asked questions of 1,000 American uh, adults. In general, two out of three Americans said they believed that Iran would use a nuclear weapon against Israel. Only 12.5% said they do not believe a nuclear Iran posed a threat to the Jewish state. Nearly 20% of Americans said they don't know. Well, uh, when I saw that, I, I guess, Sean, I would take a point of view somewhat in the middle there. Well, Do, you brought it up to me. My first response was, well, the statements I ran and wants to wipe Israel off the map are both certain statements, yeah. but whether they would use nuclear weapons, eh, there's certain things that uh, would... Well, that's the deal. Having a nuclear weapon obviously strengthens Iran's hand uh, as uh, the then 800-pound military guerrilla in the Middle East. It would certainly offset the fact that one of the least uh, uh, guarded uh, military secrets in the Middle East is that Israel possesses nuclear weapons. But if Iran uh, was to follow through on their nukes, as you know, every Friday in Iran, they have a rally right outside the uh, palace of the prime minister uh, where they have uh, death to the great Satan and death to the little Satan day. Uh, The little Satan is Israel. The great Satan is the United States. Now, if Iran were to get nuclear weapons, uh, do we believe prophetically that they would immediately use them on Israel? I do not for a number of reasons. 
First of all, when we take a look at the future of Iran as revealed in biblical prophecy, and we've gone over these scriptures quite a few times, but if you'd like to explore them more in depth, uh, feel free to follow up with questions uh, on our internet connections. But uh, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, we are told of a last day's invasion of Israel that is led by a leader from Russia, from the tribal people groups that make up the modern uh, Russian people. But at his side is going to be, among other notable nations, Persia, or modern Iran. In other words, Iran is still going to be in the business of wanting to go after Israel during this prophesied invasion that we see in the book of Ezekiel. Now, we tend to believe that this invasion is going to happen at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the tribulation period. It is going to be the first event that takes peace from the earth, and there's a number of reasons why we believe that, uh, among them, that after uh, God intervenes and destroys this invading uh, coalition led by the Russians in a supernatural way, Israel from that time onward is going to know that the Lord is God. They're not going to fall back into idolatry in any way, shape, or form. Well, going into the tribulation period, we see in passages like Daniel chapter 9 that Israel is going to enter into a strong covenant with the Antichrist, that uh, in uh, Isaiah chapter 28, we are told that Israel will look to take shelter with their covenant with death that they will make. And, and so it's going to be very tricky to have this kind of an invasion happen anywhere else, but coinciding with that halfway point of the tribulation period, the Antichrist again jumping in, taking uh, credit uh, for wiping out these troops uh, supernaturally. You might recall from Revelation 13 that uh, the uh, false prophet calls down fire in the presence of the Antichrist to justify his claims. And so if he goes to Jerusalem and say, well, I'm really the one who wiped them out, and by the way, I'm God and you should worship me, and he goes into the temple and demands to be worshipped, uh, Israel at that point is not going to buy it, and the Antichrist is going to turn on Israel with a Holocaust 2.0 like you've never seen before. So Iran has to be around uh, to be a part of these particular events, and so does Israel. Uh, the other reason that we believe that Iran would not uh, use nukes on Israel is that Iran wants to wipe out Israel. They call it the Zionist entity, but they want to do so in a way that preserves the land that Israel is now on. Why? Because two of the most holy shrines in Islam, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, sit squarely in the Jewish capital, Jerusalem. And so the idea of nuking Israel or making it uninhabitable would not be something that they would do due to their Muslim sensibilities. So uh, would uh, Iran use that nuclear capability to be able to, well, for instance, uh, provide a nuclear cover for their various terrorist proxies attacking Israel? Oh, absolutely they would. Uh, Israel's uh, ability to have the final veto over any of Iran's uh, shenanigans they pull on will be taken off the table. And so I think you would see a great uptick in terrorist attacks, uh, not in a nuclear way, in a conventional way, uh, against Israel with the Iranian nuclear cover in place. The other reason that uh, I'm skeptical that Iran is ever going to independently develop a nuke is because it does seem in Ezekiel 38 that uh, rather than being the leader of this invasion, 
Uh, they are one of the individuals following the Russians. Now, if Israel has nukes, why would they need to have this coalition coming in? Unless, of course, they didn't want to use the nukes and they wanted to just wipe Israel off the map. Well, it seems to bring Ezekiel 38 and 39 in a little bit sharper focus. So uh, fascinating about that. Uh, I guess I would disagree that, that Iran would use a nuke if they got it, but uh, in the sense of actually detonating one over Israel, wiping out a Jewish city for those reasons. But I think they would use their nuclear capability as a cover to make uh, life uh, even more miserable, if possible, for the Jewish people in that time. So that was a definitely uh, a fascinating development. Another fascinating development going on in Israel, we tried to keep you up to date a bit about the politics that are going on in Israel. So you can uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, obviously, and uh, and uh, take a look at uh, what is going on over there in a, uh, in a biblical light. Uh, as you know, uh, the politics in Israel, well, they're kind of hanging by a thread. Uh, Israel, as opposed to, say, the system of government that we have in the United States, tends to follow the British model. They have a parliamentary form of government. That means that the prime minister of Israel is the individual that is able to cobble together 61 seats in their 120-seat uh, Jewish parliament called the Knesset. Well, as we saw, Benjamin Netanyahu was not able to do that after uh, repeated attempts, and a coalition of smaller parties uh, led by Naftali Bennett and, and uh, others uh, have been able to take power there with the slimmest of margins. Uh, basically, a 61-seat uh, coalition is uh, what they've been able to cobble together, but no longer. A, uh, one of the uh, Jewish uh, uh, representatives, uh, a, uh, an individual named uh, Edith Stillman, has defected from the uh, coalition put together by Naftali Bennett for a, a very interesting reason. Uh, she said that she resigned from the coalition because, quote, she could not take it anymore and that she could not continue supporting the current government undermining the Jewish identity of the state of Israel, a reference to a disagreement she had. Now, get this. This is what might bring this whole government down. A disagreement she had with the health minister in the current government that allowed what's called shametz, or leavened grain products, to be served in hospitals over Passover. In other words, if you were with us at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Sunday, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. We were talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread that led into the Passover celebration. Uh, apparently, uh, Representative Silman takes this very, very seriously, or at least it's her uh, excuse for leading, leaving this particular uh, government. Uh, the uh, current health minister was going to allow bread with leaven to be served in Jewish hospitals throughout the Passover week. That apparently, according to Representative Silman, was a bridge too far. Uh, most of the analysis that I've been able to read on reputable sources seems to indicate this is more of an excuse than a reason, and uh, that uh, Representative Silman will be uh, rewarded perhaps by, giving, by being given uh, the title of health minister in a new government that might be formed. Right now, it's at 60-60. Uh, if another one of the cobbled together coalition of representatives defects from this coalition, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and his uh, Likud party 
could call for a new election. Now, a weak Israel, a politically unstable Israel, is not really the kind of Israel that uh, the average Jewish person would want to have at this particular point, seen as though they're surrounded by enemies and a lot of war and a lot of instability going on in that area. So uh, according to the Jerusalem uh, Post, uh, four things could come out of Representative Silman's action. Uh, first, a member of the Knesset will quit the coalition and uh, allow the opposition to pass a bill uh, dissolving the Knesset and taking Israel to another election, which people in Israel are very tired of at that particular point. Uh, the other thing that could happen is uh, another interesting thing. It might not be Benjamin Netanyahu who comes back to the prime ministership, but a very close ally of Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz, might be given that particular uh, role with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, in a sense, being the power behind the throne. Uh, the other is just a straight comeback by Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, or uh, that uh, the government is just going to end up being crippled and limp to the finish line. Uh, it'll manage to survive until the beginning of 2023, uh, where it needs to pass a new budget. That's what triggered uh, the fall of the last government. If, unless you have a majority, you can't pass a budget. And if you can't pass a budget, you need new elections. So that looks like what's happening politically in Israel right now. We don't really take sides in all of this. I think Benjamin Netanyahu has done a tremendous job as far as uh, helping the security of Israel down through time. I think this cobbled together government certainly puts Israel in a more volatile place. And if it emboldens their enemies, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, uh, there are those who have seen the uptick in terrorist attacks in Israel, particularly around the area of the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem, as a uh, another intifada, if you will, another uh, uprising meant uh, to do damage to the Jewish state. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're going to keep an eye on that and see how it all shakes out. But another uh, Israeli government could be in the offing in a matter of weeks if things continue along this line. Uh, a little closer to home, I, we mentioned we had a lot of prophecy updates going on here. Uh, we want to uh, tell you about something that is going on here in the United States. Sean, do you want the good news or the bad news first? Oh, start with the bad news. Well, the bad news uh, is this. Uh, on, on an excellent website, by the way, that I just discovered today, and I try to keep myself abreast of a lot of these really good websites, but this one called Harbinger's Daily, uh, that is H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R-S, Daily, uh, that's available at harbingersdaily.com. Really interesting uh, world news uh, from a biblical point of view site. Uh, they feature uh, as uh, contributors Amir Safadi, who we really love, Barry Stagner uh, from uh, Calvary Chapel of Tustin, and uh, our good friend uh, Jack Hibbs. Uh, Jack Hibbs was featured in an article uh, on Harbinger's Daily today uh, that had uh, this headline, California pastor calls for the pulpits and pews to take action against, quote, heinous and unprecedented infanticide bill in California. A California Judiciary Committee passed a bill on Tuesday which Christians, pro-life agencies, and legal analysts in the state warn will legalize the killing of babies up to six days after birth. 
The bill, AB 2223, was passed by a 6-3 vote down party lines and will move to the California Assembly Health Committee to be heard on April 19th. California Pastor Jack Hibbs, the founder and senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Chino Hills, described the bill as unprecedented and and indicated uh, that the reprehensible crime of infanticide is legalized in the bill and should have no place in the state. Here's uh, Jack's quote. AB 2223 goes beyond, way beyond any other pro-abortion bill to completely undermine the value of life and legalize murder. Killing born babies is an incomprehensible, heinous crime that has no place in California legislation. According to Life News, the bill would, quote, prohibit authorities from charging a mother for actions or omissions related to her pregnancy, including miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion, or perinatal death. Perinatal is a nice way of saying anything after birth. Anyone who aids or assists a pregnant person also would be exempt from prosecution. Additionally, the bill would allow the woman to sue police and other authorities who arrest or charge her in such cases. Uh, The word perinatal, uh, according to legal experts, can be defined as a number of even weeks after birth. So you're talking about post-birth abortion going on here. Uh, again, uh, the California-based Right to Life League uh, attorney, Susan Arnell, described the extreme nature of the current text of the bill, saying, In California, under AB 2223, former Philadelphia abortionist Kermit Gosnell, who murdered three infants born alive after botched abortions, could not be prosecuted. And incredibly, someone like Gosnell, who helped a California mother kill her newborn after birth, would actually have a cause of action to sue police for investigating the matter if AB 2223 becomes law. So, um, boy, you know, when Jesus talked about uh, the kind of conditions that would prevail in the end times in the last days, he said it would be like the days of Noah. And in Genesis chapter 6, we are told that the thoughts of men were only evil continually during that time. I think this certainly fits that bill. He also said that it would be like the days of Sodom, where immorality uh, would uh, be the bellwether as far as culture is concerned. And uh, it does appear that California is definitely pushing that envelope. So that's the bad news. In a real way, legalized infanticide is uh, in the offing for the state of California. Which should motivate all of us to be informed and to be highly motivated to be informed, by the way, in regards to why we call this evil. Because just like there are those who are standing for evil and calling it good, there are also those standing for good and calling it evil. Yeah, why would we say that uh, the pro-life position is the biblical position? Well, because biblically we have precedent, the truth statements made in the Bible affirm the value, the identity, and the sanctity of children, whether they're born or still in development. The passages we would go to, not to say thou shalt not have an abortion in the state of California, etc., etc., aren't there, but the passages that do identify and make it impossible to reconcile the act of abortion with a clean conscience in a Christian worldview begin, of course, with something hopefully most Christians are familiar with, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, where we see Jesus in his, uh, I guess, early gestation in a three-month state when his, uh, or rather his mother's 
cousin, who was Elizabeth, was six months pregnant right. with John the Baptist. Now, right. note, you have a first semester and a second trimester baby. And in their interaction with one another, again, this is Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth not only reacted to the presence of Mary, but it wasn't Mary and of herself. It was the spiritual identity of he who was in her womb. In first month gestation, he still had an identity. And it was also worth noting that Elizabeth wasn't the only one who reacted to it. She said, listen to the mother, the babe, not the fetus, not the clump of cells, not the inconsequential. Yes. 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 (laughs) Left within her womb. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist was not only capable of recognizing, he didn't have that name yet, of course, but this second trimester baby was capable of recognizing the presence of another baby and his spiritual identity and able to have a spiritual experience himself. Now, noting those details then, what other passages would we use? Well, obviously that murder is immoral. We'd start in Exodus 20, hopefully, for that one. But also noting other laws in Israel, noting God's standard, that give the same penalties if you cause a miscarriage for taking a human life. We can also note when the prophets are identified, Jeremiah and Isaiah respectively, for their ministry, that they were called as prophets before they were born. We can note in the Psalms that David made observations that he was known by the Lord and his days were numbered before he was born. Yeah, your eyes saw my unformed substance in the days that were ordained for me when there was not yet one of them, Psalm 139 says. And that's just one of many. We could note uh, moral culpability in Psalm 52 and plenty of others. But when we're talking about this issue, we need to be informed. We don't say oh, abortion's evil because the Bible says abortion's evil. No, the act of abortion is immoral because the Bible identifies children as human life and also identifies children regardless of whether they're attached to their mother or not. So the willful ending of a child's life, as the Bible identifies it, is immoral. And the good news as well is the science is on the Bible's side on this. So we stand to be more informed in these corrupt days, but also notice well to be highly motivated to do so, because as what was stated, and here's the second layup here, we saw in California there are those who are calling evil good, that it is a good thing to be able to be given the ability in some hypothetical extreme scenario to end a child's life. Well, oh, they don't, they don't even stipulate that. It's for any reason. Yeah, but note, noting this point, within six days or in legal terms, weeks even, after birth, all that then being said, they call that evil good. Now, also note, why should we be informed? Because there are those who are doing good and will be called evil, and we need to be able to defend that. Yeah, uh, you know, we said there's the classic good news, bad news situation. We gave you the bad news, and please be praying uh, for the people uh, in the legislature in California, the governor, Gavin Newsom, that uh, they would come to their senses about this because this is getting fairly close to judgment territory, I think. But the good news is this. Uh, on the CBNnews.com uh, website, uh, the headline was this. Oklahoma passes a bill that makes performing an abortion a felony and would send abortionists to jail. Uh, According to the article, Oklahoma lawmakers passed a measure on Tuesday that would make performing an abortion a felony, except during a medical emergency that calls for the saving of the life of the mother. 
Under the bill known as SB 612, a person convicted of performing an abortion would face up to 10 years in prison and a $100,000 fine. There was little discussion and no debate as the Republican-controlled House voted 70 to 14 to pass the bill. And now goes to Governor Kevin Stitt, who has said he would sign any pro-life legislation that came to his desk. If signed, the bill would become law this summer in Oklahoma. Legal challenges to the bill are expected before the law is enacted. Uh, You know, it's uh, just one of a number of pro-life measures that are active in the Oklahoma legislature. As you know, the uh, 15-week bill that was passed into uh, law in the state of Texas is now being appealed up the ranks to the Supreme Court. Uh, It does appear that there is a chance, uh, given the current constitution of the Supreme Court, although who knows from moment to moment and day to day how and why people will rule the way they do in that particular court. Uh, Their only consistency has been inconsistency. But if that law is held up to be constitutional, then uh, the basis for what we know as Roe versus Wade gets thrown out the window. Uh, And understand this, all that means is not that uh, the Texas law or the Oklahoma law would become the law of the land, but it would mean that it would be up to each state to decide what their particular laws regarding the practice and legality of abortion would be, which is probably where this should have been from the get-go. So, uh, boy, just expect a lot of hue, cry, and uproar over all of that. But I would say that uh, we are definitely and decidedly making some progress there uh, and just continue to to pray that uh, these bills are crafted in such a way that they will withstand the obvious legal challenges that will come. Uh, For those of us who love the Lord and love his word, uh, the idea of uh, the horrors of abortion on demand in our society is something that we really don't have a, a biblical uh, basis for taking a neutral point of view or, well, whatever floats your boats uh, kind of point of view. Uh, it is absolutely, I think, a, a deal breaker. You know, I tell people politically, I am a registered independent, but I vote on issues, and there's two main issues that determine uh, who I'm going to support in an election. Number one, are they loyal supporters of the state of Israel? Uh, Because God said in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Uh, By praying for the blessing upon Israel, for the United States to be a blessing to Israel, uh, we're acting in our best spiritual self-interest, if you want to boil it down to that. Secondly, uh, the the other issue is, are they pro-life? Because there's just no way that you can get around uh, the fact that, uh, from God's point of view, life begins at conception. People say, well, that's just your, your religious point of view. Well, it's not even a religious conviction. I mean, scientifically, uh, the moment a uh, sperm cell and an egg cell unite, uh, a scientist will tell you, you do not have an inanimate object. It's not a thing. It's a being. And at that moment of conception, that being that is in the womb is not something that, given enough time, is going to turn into a rhinoceros or a giraffe. It is endowed with the same genetic endowment that you and I have, 46 chromosomes. It's a being that is human. It is a human being. You know, the, the only difference between you and me and that fertilized egg 
is time and nurture. And one of the most challenging questions, I think anybody that would take the pro-choice position would say, oh, well, nobody really knows when life begins. We can know when life begins. We can know it scientifically and logically and even personally. Just ask them this question. When did your life begin? Because I guarantee you it began at that very millisecond. The moment of conception was when you came into being. And so we, as those on the other side of the womb, have a responsibility to protect those human beings in our society that are the most vulnerable, that are in the most in danger, that need our support as much as possible. And, and boy, you know, if you uh, want to uh, get involved and make a difference in this, you know, look up, if you're in the greater Tucson area, the Hands of Hope Ministry. If you're outside of Tucson, look at the crisis pregnancy centers that might be in your particular neck of the woods. Uh, just wonderful ways to be able to take a loving and practical stand to make a difference in this particular crisis that we're going through right now. So uh, very important for us to have that under our belt, especially in these crazy days. Uh, one other thing, you know, we've talked about Israel, we've talked about the United States, and now here's uh, the sort of National Enquirer, we used to call it, section of the program. Uh, live science, which is not what I would call a... Um, uh, you know, one of those fanciful World Weekly News supermarket tabloid kind of uh, things. I uh, had a very interesting headline today. It says, UFOs left radiation burns and unaccounted for pregnancies, according to a new Pentagon report. 1,500 pages of UFO-related research were just declassified as part of a Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, encounters with UFOs, the article says, have reportedly left Americans suffering from radiation burns, brain and nervous system damage, and even unaccounted for pregnancy, according to a massive database of U.S. government reports recently made public through a Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, you know, the uh, obvious response to this has been uh, there's going to be all kinds of uh, people all over the place saying, oh, it wasn't me that did it, honey. It was E.T. You know, I'm not the father. Uh, all those uh, poor jokes aside, you know, we've talked quite a bit about the UFO phenomena, and a very interesting study was done that says in the world today, uh, there is a reported UFO sighting every one every three minutes. So a lot of this is happening. Uh, the big question we get asked is, from a biblical point of view, uh, what is going on here? Are we talking about uh, being visited from a federation of planets? Are we talking about uh, interdimensional creatures and things like this, like we would see in the Steven Spielberg films? Well, you know, we really believe that the more you study uh, UFO phenomena, the more you begin to discover that far from being friendly ETs or Star Trekian members of a federation who are using their technology to sort of spy on us, individuals who have what we call close encounters of the third kind detailed here inevitably have a rough time of it. Uh, you know, it's not just physically damaging and so on. But uh, those who claim to have contactee phenomena with these uh, supposed uh, greys and reptilians and so on from other planets consistently report that they go out of their way to teach spiritual doctrine of a very interesting type. They will either teach Eastern mysticism or they will go out of their way to say that Jesus wasn't God or that Jesus was one of them, that he was really just a UFO being. Now, when we take a look at this phenomena, some people will say, you know, is this something that could end up uh, fitting into an end days and last 
times scenario. Well, it quite possibly could. You know, we wonder what will rally the entire world to follow the Antichrist, at least for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. A guy can show up and say, hey, you know, I'm here from this United Federation of Planets and we're here to straighten you people out. We're going to tell you the real story spiritually. And, oh, guess what? Well, you know, not only were we your gods, but I was the God that made you. And so you need to worship me. It, it could fit into a lot of things. It could explain away, say, the phenomena of the rapture. They can say, well, you know, we intervened and took out all those, you know, counter progressive individuals who are holding up the evolutionary process. We just took them out of the way for you. And I think an awful lot of people would buy into that. So, uh, you know, when I see these sort of things and these sort of articles and the fact that uh, the United States government is now uh, releasing footage taken by naval aircraft of UFOs basically defying the laws of physics, uh, even uh, modern UFO secular researchers will say things like, uh, UFOs seem to be operating under a different set of laws than the laws of physics we know. Uh, and it's quite possible that if they are able to do that, uh, Jacques Vallée, a secular UFO researcher, said, I don't believe they're from other planets. They may very well be from another dimension. Uh, if you want to use a more direct word, rather than physical beings, they may be spiritual beings. And uh, once again, when we know that Satan's number one uh, agenda is what? False doctrine, Second Thessalonians 2. The working of Satan is according to all signs, powers, and lying wonders. Yeah. Those who did not receive the love of the truth will be given over to a lie. And also note as well, just to clarify this, he's not date setting or saying, thus says the Lord, this is how the end times are going to pan out. It's, a, noting, it's a speculation. Yeah. But noting this point, when we're talking about encounters, they're generally classified in four degrees. The close encounters, the first degrees, are the ones where they actually have physical and audible well, the interactions. First, first kind of seeing. Well, yeah, like the yeah, nearest, the yeah. most extreme. But when we're talking about the overwhelming majority, the you know supposed alien interactions every three seconds, we're not talking about them you know getting beamed up and probed and all that other scary yeah. stuff. Yeah. We're talking about anything you see in the air that you don't know what it is. Could be a trash bag, could be a weather balloon, could, could be, be Venus, yeah, could, could be, be anything. Yeah. But if, on the other hand, they have these close encounters, note there are some common features, and we recommend you look into the research of Walter Martin's ministry on this as well. It is almost invariably associated with the occult. It is almost always and invariably, ironically enough, you uh, associated with hallucinogenic drug use. That makes them vulnerable to these kinds of images and interactions, or involvement with occult practices, which. Yeah are often one of the same yeah. or and this is the key point that we're making in all of this with this intense spiritual bent it can be internal but we also don't exclude the external when it comes to something being demonic it's in the message not in the appearance the number one tactic of the enemy is to appear as an angel of light absolutely and if the, yeah. the greatest way to express positivity in this day and age is spiritual neutrality he can he's been playing that game from the beginning yeah so make sure that when you hear these things don't say well what about what if aliens exist oh well what if we had concrete umbrellas 
Actually, I think we do, but it was meant as a joke. Yeah. The, the point being made is this. What do we actually know? What is actually on the table here? We acknowledge there are entities above and beyond humanity that are intelligent and that have an agenda to separate us from God. When we look into these details, we don't just take the words, the summaries from people who also have agendas in this matter. We want to examine these things. So now don't just take our word for it because we have agendas too. Check these things out. Hear from the people who had these firsthand experiences and ask good questions. Because when it comes to the truth statements, like with abortion, that we deal with in our own, uh, I guess, understanding of truth, the key principles are, what do I know I can trust, and what am I about to trust? And I compare the two. If we say, well, why aren't there other alien species on other planets? Why doesn't your Bible allow that? Not because of an outright denial, but because of truth statements that make it hard to reconcile. There is a difference. For example, in Romans chapter 8, it noted that all creation was subjected to futility in hope of our redemption, that all creation, the stars, the planets, everything, are looking forward to our redemption, not that they're conscious, but that they will benefit from it too. Our fall impacted everything. That would be unfair (laughs) to other sentient and intelligent life forms, and I mean that loosely, on other worlds. But if, on the other hand, we are a unique world, and we can observe, test, and verify that, that can support the kind of life that observes itself and others, that is what we can verify, not what we can't. So make sure that those things are clear. Um, Got some questions. We want to make sure that the broadcast dedicated to them. You answered one, uh, probably inadvertently, but we'll uh, deal I with do that. <laughs> um, this is actually someone joining us from my YouTube ministry. I'm happy to have your reason, but uh, the question is essentially making a comparison. They asked about political association and stuff. Uh, let us know if the verses he provided in being issue voters rather than party voters helped. But uh, he also made a statement regarding abortion rights and gun rights both being the support of murder as a sin. So when it comes to the Bible's position on abortion, we've hopefully made that clear, but is the right to not just use a gun, that's different, but own a gun? Yeah, all the Second Amendment says is you have the right to bear arms. Uh, The right to bear arms doesn't mean that you have the right to use them indiscriminately. Yeah, so when it comes to the right to own a firearm, obviously, just like everything else we've been talking about during the broadcast, there isn't a Bible verse that says you can own a twenty-two, an M16, or whatever. It does, however— Although Jesus did tell his disciples to take a couple of swords with them. That is what we'll be using, though, is are there principles that would allow for Christians the ability to exercise their right to self-defense with the best material available to them, not just in technology, but in general? Does the Bible call using a weapon murder? Does the Bible call killing murder in all context? And of course, would killing someone with a gun be any worse than with a rock or with a sword? So let's first clarify this point. Um, In the book of Exodus chapter 21, the laws given to Israel, again, we're not a theocracy, 21? 20. Yeah. No, 20 is regarding murder. I'm okay. regarding the law oh, of violence in okay. verse okay. 12. All right. um, you're you're yeah. anticipating yeah. my error, but yeah. didn't know where I was going. Yeah. Uh, the point is, when we're talking about murder, why don't you do that first? Um, well, the, in, in the Ten Commandments, just very succinctly stated, there are those who say, well, the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not kill. No, they don't. But the word in Hebrew literally means murder. There were all kinds of stipulations in the law of Moses where taking a life 
was absolutely uh, not just allowed, but actually mandated, including capital punishment. And here's three. In Exodus 21, one chapter later, in verse 12, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Okay, so far so plain. However, uh-oh. Oh. However, there is exceptions. If he does not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. Now, what's this in reference to? That's Manslaughter. A, well, yeah. uh, in definition, but the places that he may flee. The, the cities, cities of, of refuge. refuge. Yeah. That was basically the foundations for what we call today a right to a fair trial. It was self-defense. It was an accident, etc., etc. In the ancient world, there was what was called an avenger of blood. If you took the life of a family member, they essentially had a communal agreement that they had the right to take your life, a life for a life, uh, eye for eye. And it was considered a great shame if they didn't. Yeah, but in Israel, there were special provisions given that would be within a day's journey in the entirety of the land of Israel for these specific places that the priests would live, and they would go there to live not only in safety, but be given the opportunity to hear their case. And you can read this in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, now uh, and Joshua as well. Yeah. Now, what's uh, important to note as well, it clarifies again, verse 14, but if he acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So even if you call for this right to a fair trial, it doesn't matter if you acted with premeditation. Right. That's murder. The intentional taking of a life motivated by treachery in this text, it's translated, or malice is another way of saying it. The intent to kill for its own sake. Yeah. Now, if on the other hand, we say killing in general is murder. Well, the Bible doesn't support that. It says that there are different circumstances where killing can be allowed, whether it's not only in self-defense, we can note in this chapter, whether it's in penalty for other capital crimes, because now the government is guilty of murder for killing someone who killed someone else. And now what do you do? The Bible's not nonsensical in this. But now we get into weapons. So far, it just says striking a man. It doesn't say with what. Are there examples in Scripture, and you were referencing the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus not only allowed but encouraged his disciples with the means to defend themselves? Yeah, uh, the the famous, uh, you know, if you... Uh, you remember I sent you out, uh, you know, and told you not to take a knapsack or anything else like that. And did you lack anything? He said, nothing, Lord. He goes, but now uh, if you've got uh, a knapsack, you better take it with you. And if uh, you've got a sword, I would advise you to take it with you as well. Uh, and uh, they said, we've got two swords. I mean, the, the word indicates they were like little machetes. Uh, and uh, the Lord said, that's enough. And this is Luke 22 and verse 36. Now, there are people like Riza Aslan and others who have said, oh, this is Jesus arming them for a violent revolution. No, two knives that you would hide in your cloak are not yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly uh, going to take over a country. But when we're talking about this issue, the idea of gun rights being equated to abortion, it's either playing into talking points that are outright deceptive or it's misrepresenting any use of a firearm for things other than murder. We, the Bible, let's forget us, the Bible recognizes the difference between murder and killing, and notice killing is not always immoral if it's in defense of your home or of your uh, 
not only fellow man, but also even of your property. Uh, there's another law, and give me a second so that I can quote it verse by verse, but the uh, situation is given if someone breaks into your home then and you take their life, then you are free of their guilt of their blood. At night, yeah. But if you pursue him into the next day and then kill him, you are guilty of his blood. Yeah. You can defend your home if they break into it, but if they flee, you let the local authorities apprehend them. You don't avenge them. You don't uh, right. seek down vigilante style to, right. uh, you know, the vengeance and all that stuff. So understand the difference reason and thank you for the question but make sure that you don't buy into that propaganda because the removal of firearms or a right of a citizen to defend themselves is the first step in any power grab in countries uh, throughout history so they obviously have a invested goal in taking that away in the united states and people who live in nations who have also been disarmed uh, could attest to that our right to defend ourselves, Australia, Great Britain, etc., has exposed them to a lot more crime and violence and also a lack of ability and incentive for them to oppose uh, tyrannical government policies. So understand that when we're talking about these issues, though, it's not biblically supported to say gun rights are the same as abortion. Uh, when we're continuing on, Yar, um, you have a question from Yari? Uh, no, I was going to uh, get Holly's question. I think it's a good one, and especially in light of uh, what we've been going through here. How do you know if you will be taken or not in the rapture? Is it possible to go in the rapture and be unsaved? Well, no. Uh, if you're taken in the rapture, it's the same standing before God as if you physically died and are taken to be with the Lord. When it comes to what qualifies us for the rapture, it's the same thing that qualifies us for heaven in general. The passages that discuss the rapture and the conditions therein are 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. Make sure that's where your information is coming from. Yeah. When those who physically die are absent from their bodies, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe, yeah. to be absent from the bodies to right. be present with the Lord. However, there will be a generation that will not sleep, sleep being a euphemism for death. When it talks about that term then, what is in mind? If you are taken to be with the Lord, there is only one reason you're not there and standing in judgment. It's because you've received him as Savior. Right Now, he who, this is John chapter 3, has the Son, has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Right. That is a very much A or B direction in yeah. eternity. Yeah. Anything that would qualify you for heaven is the same thing that would qualify you for the rapture. Any certainty you have in salvation is based on that same principle. Yeah. Some people, uh, Holly, get a little thrown uh, by a statement that Jesus makes in Luke 21 where he says, uh, pray uh, always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. They go, well, uh, that means uh, obviously we have to be living a worthy life, uh, that we have to live a certain degree of holiness in our lives in order to have the hope that we're going to be taken out before the storm. A couple, <laughs> couple of major problems with that. Uh, you know, it would be like saying, well, the only people who are going to enter into heaven are the ones who live a worthy life. Well, show me someone who lives a life that is worthy of heaven apart from in this life putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And I'll be willing to entertain the idea that somehow heaven can be achieved by merit. Rapture works exactly the same way. Why are we going to be raptured? Is it because we're better than everybody else? Is it because we are more godly than everybody else? No, uh, we need to understand uh, that God has not destined us for wrath, 
but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we may we uh, are awake or sleep, we may live together with him. Uh, the time of the tribulation, Holly, is a time of God's wrath poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. Now, certainly, there's going to be people that are going to be reached during that tribulation period. Tonight at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship, we're going through the Book of Revelation series called There's a New World Coming, and we're going to be seeing a major form of outreach that's going to impact the whole world that is going to go on during this tribulation period. The last revival, we're calling it. Yeah, so, uh, you know, again, uh, it is possible to get saved in the midst of that, but the people that go into the tribulation, not a single one of them are going to be believers. Uh, they're going to be in there because they rejected Christ. But again, Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 says that God is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That includes the tribulation period. But uh, those who come to Christ during the tribulation period, is it going to be an easy road for them? No, in fact, most of them will physically die and die for their faith. It will be a time of violence, a time of pain, and a time of, well, I guess, uh, poverty, for lack of a better term. But when we're talking about these things, we just need to make sure that all of the information we get from it can and does right. come from Scripture. Right. If we let our imaginations run wild or we use our foundations for the end times based on not necessarily anything wrong with this, but insofar as it gets your nose in your Bible. If not, you use popular Hollywood portrayals or book series as your interpretation of these things. They had to take creative license. And also noting as well, they're referencing things that you may not be reading yourself. Make sure you understand what they're referencing so you understand what is meant. And if they deviated from the text, that you notice that as well so that you're not stumbled or discouraged. Obviously, we want to live righteous lives, but we don't. Yeah. Obviously, we want to be more like Jesus, but we can't. We won't be this side of heaven. But the more his spirit grows in us, the more we're not only aware of our own sin, but the fact that we have so much to be thankful for, that we have a Savior. Make sure that's your foundation, how you relate to Jesus, Holly, not in doubt and saying, is he going to leave me like some teenage boyfriend or whatever? Yeah. Um, he said, I'll never leave you. And never forsake you. You can take that to the bank. Hebrews thirteen five. This one I can deal with real quickly. I think it's fun in light of the political discussions we've been having. Uh, Yari wants to know, what are our thoughts on Trump, Pen uh, Pence, DeSantis, or Netanyahu uh, returning in 2024? Could that happen? And is it good? Uh, it could be. It also could not be. Any hope I have for the future is in Jesus 2024. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, what uh, chapters should one read to learn more about the character of Christ? Um, if you want a good, like, just overview, for example, so we're going through the Gospel of Luke. I'd recommend that highly. because Gospel of John, uh, really up close and personal with the character of Jesus. If you want it in a nutshell, boy, Philippians chapter 2, verses yeah. 1 through 11. Uh, you could, you know, it's like, I call that one of my desert island Verses, because if I was stuck on a desert island with just one scripture to study, like Tom Hanks and Castaway for five years, uh, I could probably get through that five years just studying Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, as far as uh, the character of our Lord is concerned. All right. Um, and uh, just as a note as well, 1 John 1 through 4, 1 John. 
Yeah. Chapter one, verse one to four. That's a key one in understanding the relationship we have with them. This one's fun. Uh, Kim wants to know, will jobs during the millennial kingdom be similar to here on earth? Will they be different? For example, uh, what are you going to do as a pastor if uh, they have Jesus there? Uh, also noting as well, uh, will uh, new people be given new na- or new people? People will be given new names. Countries and places will have new names. Jerusalem, will it still be called Jerusalem or something else? Uh, gives other examples, but wants to know the significance of that. There's a prophecy in Jeremiah, I think it's in the 20s, uh, but uh, notes that in the millennium, not the, new, reign, yeah. Yeah, not the new creation, uh, Jerusalem's name will be after her king, the Lord our righteousness, yeah. which is the same Yahweh Tiskadenu. Yeah, which yeah. is how we'll relate to Jesus. If you have trouble pronouncing it, he can help you in person. Yeah. But uh, what's also interesting is that other nations like Assyria, Egypt, and Ethiopia are mentioned as still alive and well. During this time, it's the same geography of this world, not of the next world. New Jerusalem won't be here until after the thousand years are finished. Know the chronology. Yeah, and uh, just as far as what you know, I as a pastor, Sean as a pastor, will be doing. Uh, well, that's kind of up to the Lord. Um, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I do think there will still be a, a ministry of God's word, obviously, going on during that time. Why? Because you're not only going to have glorified human beings who are going to know the Lord, even as we're known, uh, we're going to be fully filled in. But you're also going to have mortal human beings that don't have that advantage. Uh, There are going to be individuals that even, as we see at the end of uh, the thousand-year reign, uh, don't even know the Lord at all. So there's definitely going to be a a need, if you will, uh, to hear and understand the word of the Lord. There's a wonderful prophecy in Isaiah where the nations will say, Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the city of our great king. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. So we will have the opportunity to hear the Lord himself teach us. But like the first coming of Christ, when we see him here on earth, it wasn't just Jesus sharing the word. It was also the ministry of the word delegated out to his disciples. And so I think there will still be uh, a need for Bible studies that are going to go on during that time. Uh, as far as work itself is concerned, you know, we're going to be returned to Eden-like conditions. That means that the curse that was on this earth uh, is going to be, I don't think, completely lifted because there's still going to be death that's going to happen during the thousand-year reign. But I think we're going to see Eden-like conditions to the sen- in the sense that uh, we're going to work, but not by the sweat of our brow and just see it produce thorns and thistles. Uh, we're going to be able to work and have a significant uh, return for our work. Yeah, Genesis yeah. 2, and man was created in perfect conditions. He had purpose. He had the opportunity to be a gardener. There will be plenty of other things for us to do. Yeah. But uh, with that said, uh, the music is starting. We don't want to be drowned out. So we'll look forward to talking to you all again next time. Thank you for so many great questions, and uh, hopefully the Prophecy Update was encouraging for you, albeit honest. We'll look forward to seeing you all next time. Keep us in prayer. We'll do the same. God bless you. and see you all tomorrow. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry 
at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.